We do welcome all of our visitors. We want to welcome our new members as well, right? We had eight new ones. That's great. And by the way, um, well, I'll, I'll mention some other things about membership later, but um, Romans 12, verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Now, there's no question about it, there is a parallel here to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13. Spiritual gifts followed by an appeal to love. Obviously, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, it's done in much more detail. Listen, Matt is dealing with that in the Sunday school. I can tell you this. Matt and I did not sit down and discuss the fact that we needed to give the church a double dose of it. Matt did it on his own. You guys know I've just been moving through Romans. The fact I believe that both of these are happening at the same time doesn't have to do so much with Matt and I thinking that you need this. It probably has to do with the fact that God thinks we need a double dose of this. So, I would take it as that. Brethren, I have one major objective this morning. I want us to look at the first few words of verse 9. Let love be genuine. Now, if you're out there and you're wondering, hey, what happened to verses 4 through 8? Yes, for the most part, I am going to quickly run past them. Not because they're unimportant, but because Matt has been touching a bit on the spiritual gifts, followed by love lately. In, in his Sunday school class, but also because I, about a year ago, in the 3 p.m. service, did a rather extensive study of spiritual gifts. Which, by the way, if nobody remembers, this thing that we're doing in Sunday afternoons is really a continuation of that. What we did was we went into the gifts of men who ought to be teaching and preaching and pastoring in the church. And so that series really isn't done. We're still continuing that. But because that series has been so extensive, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time with it here. And in, by the way, I do in fact intend to broaden that out. I know there's certain gifts that we didn't look at that probably still need to be looked at. But, for now, we're going to move past that. But before we look at verse 9, somebody may actually have a question here. Somebody, and in fact, I know at least one person does, and so maybe some of the rest of you do. Maybe you guys are aware that over the last two weeks, I've dealt with verse 3, right? You probably came to your attention if you were here that I referred often to the first part of that verse. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And, and I also mentioned the middle part of verse 3. But to think with sober judgment. But you may have noticed, however, that I sort of avoided the last part. Anybody notice that? Yeah? Now see, I would have noticed that. If, if I was sitting out there and somebody else was preaching, that would have caught my attention. 
It would have because I would have wanted to know what it meant and it doesn't immediately jump right off the page probably exactly what the meaning is. Look at it. Romans 12.3, very last part. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So here's what you basically have. We're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We're supposed to think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now the obvious question that we would have would be, what does that mean? Right? What does that mean? I know Brandon had that question. Do you guys care? Does it, does it matter to you? Well, it should, because it has to do with how we're supposed to think of ourselves. Now, I think everybody can see right off. This is spiritual gift language. Now, maybe that doesn't occur to you right off. But notice verse 4. What does verse 4 start with? Verse 4 starts with 4. 4. It's that conjunction that ties verse 4 to verse 3. In other words... Whenever you see that conjunction, whenever you see that attachment, what it means is Paul just made a statement that he is going to give fuller explanation to. Okay, well, let's read verses 4, 5, and 6 and see what his fuller explanation happens to be. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. There it is. Gifts. That's what he has in mind. When he says that at the end of verse 3, Paul wants each of us... It makes sense, right? What he's basically saying is this. Look, if you don't have the gift of teaching, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Don't go around like you're the teacher. If you don't have this certain gift, if you don't especially have a gift of discernment, don't go around like you do have one. Basically, if... It's basically live according to the gifts that you actually have. Not to the ones you think you might like to have. Not to the ones you imagine you have. But the ones that the rest of the body of Christ is actually identifying. And how, look, when we did that whole series on gifts, when we started it, one of the things I really emphasized, you want to know what your gifts are? Just get in the midst of the body and start trying to love people. And start trying to serve people. And you know what? Where people look and say, hey, that helps me. Well, that's where your gift is. So often people want to say, you know, well, I've got this gift. Problem is, every time they try to exercise it, oh, it doesn't work. Nobody's helped by it. People want to run from it. They look and they scratch their head. Why are they trying to do that? They don't do that well. They go around, you know, their head, and Matt talked about it, all puffed up. You can imagine a guy coming in here with a balloon head, right? Barely fits through the door. We don't want to be balloon heads. We don't want to be that arrogant, that puffed up, where we think these big high thoughts of ourselves. He's saying, but let each of you think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that you have. And this is, this is typical language that you find. As God appoints. Well, see, that sounds like 1 Corinthians 12, right? The Spirit of God basically distributes these as He wills. You have the gifts also talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. What is verse 7 about? The measure, each has this measure of Christ's giftedness. Now see, maybe you say, well, I understand that. When Paul talks over there about each of us having the measure of Christ's gift, we understand that. Different gifts are allotted to different people. But how come in Romans 12.3 he says the measure of Faith. And isn't that a strange way to say that? Well, hey, I'm not going to tell you right now that I have it all figured out, but I will tell you this. If you go back real quick to Romans 1, turn right back there, Romans 1, and look at verses 11 and 12 with me. Because I just want you to see something really quickly here. Now, yes, we're going to get to... Romans 12, 9, we're going to dive into that. But I want to explain that little phrase there because I think it really does pertain to what we're going to be talking about. Look at Romans 1, 11, and 12. Paul is speaking to the church at Rome. He says, I long to see you that I may impart 
to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Now what Paul's saying there is, not that I have mystically some gift that I'm going to give to you so that now you have that gift. When he says he's going to impart a spiritual gift, he means I'm going to come among you and exercise my spiritual gift in a way that you are going to be built up and strengthened. But now notice verse 12. That is. That is means, in other words, let me explain what I mean. Let me give some definition. Literally, this mean, this, this word has the idea of which means. Definition. That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now see, Paul, in his typical humility, says, well look, it's not just me using my gift to encourage you, but I want to be encouraged by you as well as you use your gifts. But isn't it interesting that he almost, he, he interchangeably uses when he says that is, and he goes to explain, instead of saying spiritual gift the second time, he says faith. Well, that's, that's, that's interesting, to say the least. Okay, here's the thing. Come, come back to Romans 12 now. Now what... what does this mean? Well, I'll tell you. It probably means one of two things. It, and, and you know what? It may very well mean both these things. When Paul says, each of you needs to think of yourselves according to the measure of faith as God has appointed, I think he probably means this. The measure of gift that you have by faith. Because nobody has spiritual gifts unless they come to faith. I mean the, the true ones. The ones that the Spirit of God is appointing among His people. He gives those gifts there. He gives those to those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. These gifts are given. And so, it's a measure of gift that is of faith. Or it's by faith. I mean, that's one way we might look at it. But what's the second way? Well, somebody would say, well, maybe what he means is there's a different measure of faith that actually prompts us to different measures and different proportions of giftedness. Now, if, if, you don't, if that doesn't sit well with you, Paul seems to say exactly that in verse 6. Glance there a second. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. You know, right there, at least with regards to the gift of prophecy, Paul seems to indicate there is a proportion, there are varying proportions of faith that you need to have compel this gift of prophecy. So anyway, here's the thing. If, here's the thing I really want you to see. When Paul talks about faith, he doesn't use that term in an abstract way. When Paul talks about faith, what does he want to come to your mind? When Paul talks about faith in the Scriptures, he says things like this, I know whom I have believed. Whom? There's a person there. Faith that unleashes life and power and the Spirit of God and spiritual gifts is faith in a person. When he talks about the measure of faith, he immediately would have our minds run to Christ. Folks, take a, take a text like Galatians 2.20. I live by faith in the Son of God. So whatever you want to do with that attachment between faith and gifts, I'll tell you this, when he's telling you to not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think, when he tells you to think with sober judgment, when he tells you to think according to this measure of faith, faith takes us to Christ. Faith is constantly what? It's looking away from me. Faith is not in me. 
Faith is in Christ. Faith is looking away from me. It is looking to Christ. I'll tell you this. This is so key. When it comes to the way we think about ourselves, He wants us thinking according to the measure of faith. He wants us thinking away from ourselves, turning our gaze away to Christ. This is, this is very helpful. I'll tell you this. As we look to Christ, we look away from ourselves. People who have their eyes gazing on Christ all the time don't have a tendency in the church to be thinking real high thoughts of themselves. That's the sober judgment, folks. And you think about all your giftedness and you look to Christ. Because Christ said it. Unless you abide in Me, He says you can do nothing. And that comes to spiritual gifts. Have you not heard what Matt has said? Though you have faith to move mountains, though you may give yourself to be burned, it's nothing. And I'll tell you this, no matter how what, what we want with these gifts, the reason this is so important, because God has given us abilities, and He's given us differences, and He's given you ways that you can help edify this body. But in all of it, we have to abide in Christ. That's the faith. When, he, when Paul uses it, he doesn't want you just to think abstractly about faith. He always wants us thinking Christ. Because it is Christ in whom we believe. And when it comes to all these spiritual gifts and everything, when it comes to the way you think about yourself, He's wanting our gaze there. Now, that brings us to verse 9. Let love be genuine. Now the old KJV says, let love be without dissimulation. Does anybody know what dissimulation means? I'm thinking few of you probably do. Listen. listen. The word is this. Anu Pukritos. Not hypocrites. Our word hypocrite comes from this Greek word. That's where it's derived from. Let love be without hypocrisy. That's the idea. No hypocrisy. You can see how... Now, look, can you guys all see how this fits with verse 3? And what I was just emphasizing right there about having our gaze set on Christ. Verse 3 is about self-forgetfulness. When thinking about yourself as you live by faith in the Son of God, the exact opposite of that is to be a hypocrite. Why? The hypocrite's consumed with himself. Is he not? The hypocrite is all about you thinking high thoughts of him because he thinks high thoughts of him. It's just the opposite of the person whose gaze is on Christ. And there's this measure of faith. And thinking about ourselves according to that measure of faith. Thinking about ourselves in Christ. Thinking about what we were without Christ. And all that we have is because of Christ. And He is the reason we're able to accomplish anything. It's all Him. What do I have that I have not received? That's the idea that Paul's trying to lay down there. But the hypocrite is not that way. The hypocrite thinks extremely highly of himself. He's totally absorbed with how he appears, constantly doing the things he does in order to gain the good reputation. If I'm a hypocrite, then I want to give the appearance that I love, not because I do love, but because I want you to love me. Because I want you to make much of me. I want you to be impressed with me. I want you to think really high thoughts about me. Now think about the term hypocrite. It was originally used of, and some of you know this, you've done the word study before, it was originally used of actors. Right? Somebody that would get up on the stage and they would act. They would pretend to be something or somebody that they are not. It's all an act. It's all a put on. A hypocrite is a pretender. They're not genuine. They're not the real thing. They only appear to be something. But the truth is, they're actually something altogether different. But here's the problem. This is the big problem. 
Actors aren't only found up on the stage. Actors are found in the church. Actors are found among the religious crowd. That is the issue. They're found right here. Someone might wonder about this. I mean, you might say, what? Actors in the church? I mean, are you saying we got John Wayne's and Elizabeth Taylor's right here at Fatty's? I would say yes, it's very likely. The only thing is, they aren't playing the part of a cowboy or a damsel in distress or anything like that. What are they playing? They're playing the righteous person. They're, they're playing the part of somebody who seems to be honoring God. You say, where'd you get that? Jesus tells us that's what a hypocrite is. Now let me tell you something. Anytime Jesus defines a word, run with it. We, we know all about Webster, but I'll tell you, there's nobody that defines words better for us than Christ Himself. Listen to what He says. Matthew 15, 7. You hypocrites. Okay. He's going to tell us just what they are. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Do you see that? There's your hypocrite. What is it? They say one thing with their lips, but they do another thing in the heart. With their lips, they want you to think they're close to God, but in the heart, they're actually far from God. So when it comes to love, they may appear to love but in their heart, there is no love. They have a love for themselves. And they'll appear to love others because they want to be applauded for their love for others. But it's all put on. Okay, let's, let's go to another definition right from the mouth of the Lord. Matthew 23, you guys well know. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now here's, here's again, another Definition from the mouth of Jesus Christ. You clean the outside of the cup. You clean the outside and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others. And there it is right there. They outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Lawlessness is sin. They are full of corruption. They are full. They are like that tomb. It looks beautiful on the outside. It's all painted. It's all beautiful. Inside, it's full of corruption and rotten flesh, decaying material. It is full of filth. Listen to me. You play the act of a cowboy and you do it well. You may get a lot of fame. You may make a lot of money. But I'll tell you this. Playing the part of a religious person is dangerous duty. Few things infuriated Christ more than hypocrisy. And I'll tell you this, He said, hypocrite, you're going to face the greater condemnation. And there is a place, folks, where Christ Himself Matthew 24.51 He talks about that servant that the Master comes and doesn't find faithful. Do you know where He puts him? He puts him in the place of hypocrites. Hell is described as the place of hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, brethren, look, if you were here on Wednesday, I read from Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. You know what we see there? Jesus Christ walking in the midst of His churches. He knows their works. 
He sees them. He is the searcher of the heart, of the mind, of the will, of the purposes. He knows us. And when He finds hypocrisy in the churches, He hates it. It is a stench to Him. It is something He is not pleased with. We're just putting on a show. And you guys think about who, who the Apostle Paul is. What does he say? I am an Apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. You know what? Paul comes along and tells us what he tells us in Romans 12.9. As an emissary of Christ. He comes to us with the words of Christ. He comes to this church right now with this very message. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Don't fake it. Let the actors stay up on the stage. Keep the John Waynes out of the church. This isn't the place for that. Let it be genuine. Let it be real. In other words, folks, when you love when you care for others, when you show mercy, when you extend compassion, when you seek to help, to give, to pray. And you know what can happen? You get the guy who's, you know, he acts, he acts concerned. You get the woman. Oh, tell me about all your problems. Oh, isn't she so loving? You tell her all your problems. She doesn't go home and pray for you. She goes home and gossips about you. Oh, there's a, there's a show I'm so concerned. And then she'll be the first to stick the knife in your back. That's the kind of thing. You know, you know what can happen? We get, we, we have an annual business meeting where we talk about the commitments that this church is going to make during the year. Oh, somebody can wax eloquent. Well, you know, I think we should give all this money to these orphans and to these widows. Oh wow, isn't that brother there? They're really, they're caring. Carlos does all the numbers at the end of the year and you find the person didn't hardly give anything. It was all talk. You see, brethren, let it be real. Not because you're trying to get the applause, not because you're trying to get the attention, not because you want others to think, look, you know what? It's a good thing to be godly. It's a good thing to be spiritual. It's a good thing to be sacrificial. It's a good thing to outrun others in showing honor. It's a good thing to have that. It's a good thing to be a servant. It's a good thing to serve others and strengthen their faith. It's good to be a person that just drifts with the aroma of Christ. It's good to excel in this life of Christianity. It's good to seek to dive deeper and grow faster and go further. It is good to be righteous. It is good to seek to obey the Lord. It is good to be that. We can desire that. But don't put on the show. Don't try to be that so that you can, on the exterior, look real beautiful when inside it's not true. You're going to go a whole lot further in this whole thing if you'll come clean like you've heard Matt do a number of times. Brethren, this isn't me. I've been real convicted. I, I haven't been loving. You know what? That's a better place to go. Tack some humility on this thing. And, and just, you know, sometimes we talk about people who are really transparent. They tell you how it is. But sometimes with that, folks, what it is, it's, it's more than just a personality that's transparent. There, there is a real desire not to be a hypocrite. Not to appear to be what we're not. Brethren, you get... Well, we'll move on. What The whole point is, hypocrisy. Looking beautiful on the outside. Inside, there's not beauty. On the outside, you look righteous. On the inside, there's hypocrisy and lawlessness. Where does the drive from that come from? Well, I've kind of touched on this, but you guys know the three prevailing texts, right? One of the Matthew 6, 2, Matthew 6, 5, Matthew 6, 9, right in there. You know what Jesus Christ says. He's teaching His disciples how to pray, how to fast, and how to give. Right? And what He says in all three of those is don't be 
like the hypocrites. And what are they like? They pray to be what? Seen. They fast to be seen. And they give to be seen. And why do they do all that to be seen? So that they might receive the praise of men. That's really what they want. And you know what Christ said? They've gotten it. They're not going to get any more. They've gotten their praise and that's it. You see, folks, the payoff is bad. Hypocrites don't get paid well. And what do you get? Oh, Brother Joe over there thinks I'm a good guy. Yeah, what's that going to help you on Judgment Day? Well, Lord, Joe thought I was a good guy. Hey, we have a Joe here, so maybe I have to change the name now. But I mean, where? how far is that going to go? What's that going to do for you? Brethren, the drive behind it, let me tell you something. The drive behind hypocrisy is really the fear of man. Because when you want applause from men, it means that your life is controlled by what men think. And really, if you desire men's applause, then you really fear men's frowns. And so you will shrink back from anything that you think is going to bring the frown of people. You basically, it is, a, it is a fear of man that fuels this type of thing. And You know what the Scriptures say. The fear of man lays a snare. When you're doing what you're doing to receive the applause and the approval of men, is that, folks, sometimes we look, we look at things. Like, let's use Spurgeon as an example. Oh, everybody thinks Spurgeon is a great guy today, over a hundred years after he died. Everybody does. Arminians, Calvinists, you got people on every hand. Oh, everybody loves Spurgeon. Very few you ever find anybody today that doesn't like him. But I'll tell you what, you go back 120 years, and you know what? Spurgeon was not a well-liked man. He had enemies on every hand. They did not speak well of him. They spoke evil of him. The very Baptist union that he helped found kicked him out. He had enemies on every side. People of all stripe. They were denouncing him. They were finding fault with him. They were accusing him of this and of the other thing. Folks, the reality is that if you're really going to live for the Lord and everybody's speaking good for you, you're probably not living for the Lord. And if your desire is to simply seek the praise and approval of men, I guarantee you will not be a genuine lover of men. Those who are going to be genuine lovers of men are going to be people that are not always going to... Look! There are a lot of people in this world, they get, they get the high approval ratings, but they're not the ones that are genuinely loving. They're not genuinely out there. I'll tell you this too. Hypocrisy is not just a fear of man. Hypocrisy is an amazing unbelief. You see what I'm saying here? What does it not believe? It's, it's really poor at judging rightly that God is the discerner of the heart and that God is the one that I'm going to have to answer to. Christ says, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear Him who has the ability to cast body and soul into hell. That's who we need to fear. This idea when you walk around and you're all worried about how the brethren think about you, what that is is a massive amount of unbelief. It says, you know, you're not really aware. You're not really believing. You're not really hanging on the fact that God sees me. God knows. Brethren, God knows. When you walk around in the church and you're putting on a front, you're putting on a face, you're acting apart, you're just pretending. God knows. And you know what He told His disciples? He said the day's coming when everything that's done in secret, everything you did hidden in that closet, it's coming out. It's going to be made known. It's going to be made public. You see, not only does hypocrisy not pay well, but your hypocrisy is really quite useless. Oh, you get this little temporary satisfaction, but the day's coming when it's all coming out. What you really are is going to be made known. It's all going to be laid out there on the table. And let me, let me just remind you of something else. Having right doctrine does not keep you from being a hypocrite. There are tons of Calvinistic hypocrites. Let love be genuine. Matt was talking about it today. You've got all these 
All these guys out there on the internet arguing the doctrines of Christ. I'll tell you this. You can articulate the 1689 London Baptist Confession. You can know all about the Council of Dort. You can know about the, the solas of the Reformation. Be able to articulate those very well and define those. But I'll tell you what. When Christ says and calls us to love as He loved and left us an example, when Paul comes along and he says, under the authority of Jesus Christ, let your love be without hypocrisy. Brethren, He nowhere guaranteed us that just because you come to right understanding of the sovereignty of God somehow, and we have this feeling, we, we can have this feeling that because we have right doctrine, we're guaranteed success. Because we have right doctrine, we're somehow guarantees us that we're right. But you know what? The chief thing? Love. You find that. And I guarantee you folks, you get, you get the guys and girls, they come in this door and they come in off the street. You get visitors, they come in here. And we've got a lot of visitors in here. You know what? They can see through you. You start dealing with people, and it's all about theology, it's all about correct interpretation, it's all about this and that, but you don't care a lick for their soul. You don't really care. They can see through that. People can smell that out. When you really love, people know it. People can sense it. Even the lost folks that come in here, they know it. There is a certain aroma about the person who really cares. Matt was talking, and I've seen this too. You know, a bunch of, I forget what they were, what church they were from, but they pulled up, I don't care if they're Baptist. This happens a lot in that circle. They come up over there under the bridge, you know, they kick the clothes out the back of their brand new Suburban and off they drive. No, I, I sat there in amazement. I saw a bunch of people do that around Christmas time one year, if I remember right. I don't have the exact time of the year down in my mind, but I remember these people. I sat there in astonishment. Brand new Suburban. They came up, kicked clothes out the back, and I watched. And not one of the people in that vehicle exchanged one single word with the people that were homeless. Not one word! You think the people see through that? They see through that. That's hypocrisy, folks. And whatever title we put on it. And I'll tell you what, you can have evangelistic hypocrisy too. So you guys, ladies that go downtown, you go down there and preach. You go down there, why? Because it's the brave thing. You stand up before all your, your brethren and you know, oh boy, look at brother so-and-so, he's preaching again. You get this notoriety. Yeah, he preaches great on the street. But you don't care about souls. You care about how you look. You care about impressing others. But then you come home. I'll tell you this. Mark my words. I'm going to give you one of, the, one of the greatest indications of hypocrisy right now. Here it is. Since hypocrisy is so enamored with being thought highly of by others, all you have to do is look at that area of life that is not visible to others. And the place I'm thinking of just now is the prayer closet. Folks, your prayer closet gives away whether you're a hypocrite or not. You go out there on those streets and preach, and you're not in that closet praying for those you preach to. You come up here and stand in this pulpit. You wax eloquent. And you don't pray at all for these brethren that sit here. I tell you what, you're a hypocrite. You're a fake. And you may have gifts, and they may wax eloquent. You're no better than those Corinthians. Hypocrisy, folks. Hypocrisy. It kills love. And that prayer closet will give you away. You guys see Abraham? You ever think about this? Lord, don't, don't go down there and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lord, if, if, you, find, if you find 50 righteous people, Lord, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that down there. He was pleading. But Lord, though I be dust and ashes, let me let me just talk to you. Lord, please don't be angry. He was he was getting to the place where he was afraid he might anger the Lord because he was interceding. Brethren, I tell you, the greatest things that can be given to people come from God. And God has called upon us to pray those blessings down. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from our Father of lights. 
Every good thing that you would want for lost or saved comes from the Lord. And if you're not praying that God give those things to the lost and give those things to the saved, how can you say you love them? You may have great gifts, but your prayer closet gives you away. If you're not praying for your brethren, if you're not praying for the lost, you may be evangelistic, you may be Calvinistic, but those walls, whatever that secret place is, it may not be a closet, it may be out under the stars, on the grass, wherever it is, in your car, but that place you go and that place you spend most of your time praying, it is a dead giveaway to whether you really love. Because the hypocrite isn't going to do what doesn't get him applause. When it's in the quiet place, when it's in the secluded place, when it's in the out-of-the-way place, when it's somewhere where people can't see, then the reality comes out. Because the hypocrite does what he does to receive the attention, to get the gaze, to get the applause, to get the congratulations, and where that's not going to come. And I guarantee you, nobody but you and the Lord knows what's going on when you're out there all by yourself. Look, I'm not talking about coming to the prayer meeting. Hey, when the public prayer was being made, the Pharisees were there. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when it's just you and the Lord. And I'll give you another good test for hypocrisy. It comes down to this. Because hypocrisy desires applause and fears the frown of man, you can find where the love is hypocritical in another place too. When the love is hard love. What do I mean by that? Hey, you know, so often we see with our human eyes the way humans are likely to see, right? We say, hey, there's Brother Bob over there. Isn't he just a nice guy? Yeah, he's a nice guy. We all like Brother Bob. And he's just a swell guy. You know, he's always he's fun to be around. He's got just good personality. Let me tell you something. And sometimes people look and they say, yeah, what about, uh, you know, they use names that people here don't have. What about Brother Sebastian over there? Yeah, but he's he's kind of a straight, you know, he's he's a serious guy. And yeah, sometimes he can make people feel uncomfortable. Let, let me tell you something. Churches that discipline its members can be seen as harsh. They can be seen as mean. Now I know people can be mean unrighteously mean. But I tell you what, Jesus Christ was not appreciated, I'm certain, when He called those Pharisees hypocrites. And yet, you know what He was doing? He was saying what was true. He turned around one day and He said, Peter, He said, get thee behind me, Satan. I tell you what, when people truly love, they can say some hard things. In fact, true love demands Oftentimes, that we be hard. You know what Scripture says? If you don't spank your child, you hate them. Spanking a child a hard thing? Yes, you better believe it's a hard thing. But you hate them if you don't do it. And you know what? We can talk about love all day long, but a church that doesn't discipline those that are erring, those that are unrepentant, it's an unloving church. It may be seen hard and cruel by this world, by people that come in from the outside. you got a guy in your... I'm not... Again... I emphasize, we can be mean. But you've got a guy in the church and sometimes you get into sin. You see these kind of people. Typically, yeah, that's a person you like to be around. But just let somebody fall into sin, all of a sudden they don't want to be around that person. Why? Because they know that person is likely to rebuke them, likely to dig a little bit, likely to find... And I'll tell you, that's another dead giveaway. You may be really nice. we got some really nice people in here. But if you live your life and you're afraid to ever address sin where you see it in others, you know what? Your love is hypocrisy. You are sh there is a measure of hypocrisy in that love. Because what you're doing is you're willing to be nice. You're willing to be, you know, the, the good guy. 
as long as it's not going to cause the frown of people. And I'll tell you, what's been said before about Americans is true. We are a bunch of thin-skinned folks. Rebuking American Christians is not an easy thing. Because typically, they're going to get all bent out of shape. They're going to get all hurt. They're going to all get distorted. And then you're going to be seen as mean and cruel. And but the fact is, if you allow, listen, think about it. If you see a brother or sister in sin and you just turn your back and allow them to continue in it, are you loving them? You're going to let them grieve the Spirit in their own life, hamper the Spirit's work in their life, possibly bring an aching situation upon the church, hamper the entire church. Is that the loving thing to do? But that's another test. Look right there. Now, I just want to kind of end up with this. As, as I, I looked at every single usage of hypocrisy in the New Testament, I, mean, I wanted to get a good feel for it. There is one occasion. Oh, there, there's various places where Christ deals with hypocrisy. But there's one incident that very uniquely ties in with love. I think above all the other instances where hypocrisy is spoken about, and it's in Luke 13. And just as we wrap up here, I want you to look there. Luke 13. Look at verse 14. I'll read verses 14, 15, 16. This is just... This is an incident that has to do with love. It's an incident where Christ accuses somebody who is unloving of being a hypocrite, and He Himself then displays unhypocritical love. And I want you to see this. It just Our Lord was wonderful. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox? Or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond? Oh, brethren. I want you to see what's, what's really happening here. Why would Jesus call the ruler of the synagogue a hypocrite? Doesn't the fourth commandment say not to work? I'll tell you what, you go back to Exodus chapter 20, you better believe it does. It says not to work on that day. Now look, I don't think the real issue here is whether or not works of mercy and love ought to be done on the Sabbath day. Now, okay, we can glean that from this. Obviously, Christ would say yes, but I don't think that's the issue. Because you have to understand, Christ is accusing of hypocrisy, not misunderstanding the law. What do you make of that? Here's what I think we need to make of it. Look, if, if this leader of the synagogue would have come along, and because of conviction, he would have said, man, I have a hard time with this healing that's going on. Maybe I don't understand love right. Maybe I don't understand what liberties we ought to have. You know, I, I, I try not to do anything on the Sabbath. I, try, I have my wife cook the day before and you know, we put enough food and water out for the animals the day before. And I, I struggle with this. I struggle with how far we should go. So when I see you healing over there, you know, my conscience is kind of troubled. But that's not the case. Jesus says, look, when it's your donkey, when it's your ox, 
You will break the Sabbath the way you say I am. Don't sit there and act righteous on the outside like you're some maintainer of God's law. Because the second it has to do with you, and isn't it interesting, and it's in the original there, he puts that possessive pronoun when it's his ox. His, when it's yours. Brethren, this, oh, let this search us. Well, dear, you know, things are tight right now, and yeah, maybe I know there's some missionary needs. I know we support these pastors, and I know about all the orphans over there in China. But, you know, probably ought to hold off giving too much this month. Then there you are in the store. You know, you're looking at the new clothes. Well, this one's a little cheaper. That one's a little nicer. Well, you know, I think I like this nicer one a little better. Brethren, the Scripture says that love seeks not its own. It's amazing how you'll spend... Let's not say it like that. I know we have some sacrificial folks here. And I'm not going to say it in a way that's going to sound accusatory. But just ask yourself this. Might it not be the times when you're buying a house, buying a car, buying clothes, when it's stuff you're buying for yourself? Yeah, you'll go the little extra mile, won't you? I get the nicer thing for me. But is that the most genuine of love? Let me show you Christ. Let me show you genuine love. What did it cost Him to love? Father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from Me. What cup? The cup of God's almighty wrath. But... No, Lord, nope. If it's Your will that I have to drink this to save my people from their sin, I'll drink it. That's genuine love, folks. He didn't hold back. He gave it all. Wasn't out there, well, you know, I'll I'll go the little extra mile for me, but eh, I know they're widows and orphans, but after all, I earned this money. I deserve it. Fall into these lies of American middle class. Yeah, you know, I I ought to have that much insurance. I ought to have retired. I ought to be saving up for me. Yeah, I know the, the orphan over there in China. Yeah, they don't. Ah, but you know, I'm the one making the money. I'm entitled. Did God give you guys the jobs that you have in America right now and all the riches that you have to consume it upon yourself? Is that the kind of love that He gave you that money to accomplish? You have a responsibility, brethren. We are wealthy. You say, I'm not wealthy. I don't even know how to make the ends meet. I don't know where this is. Listen, as Americans, we are wealthy. We are far more wealthy than 90%, 95% of all the people that have ever lived and are alive right now on the face of this earth. It's amazing what even the people in this country who would be at supposedly poverty level have in comparison to people in other countries. You have been endowed with these riches to love. Let the love be genuine. You hear Christ's words, sell your possessions and give alms. Because that's loving. That's not what the hypocrite wants to do. But that's loving. His love was genuine. He, I mean, think... Think with me, brethren. You're bowed down 18 years. Your back is bent. Why? You've got some demonic affliction. Who do you want to see coming down the pike there? You want to see Mr. Synagogue Ruler all outward beautiful and in all of his robes? Is that who you want to see coming when you're bowed down with some grief? Or do you want to see Christ coming? When you get in trouble in your life, who do you want to see? 
and you want to be a part of the church, we're going to be called to be imitators of Christ. Christ said, look, this is love. You lay down your life for your friends. And Christ lived that out. He laid His life down. He says, look at me. Imitate me. Do as I have done. He laid down His life. You go to 1 John. It says, if, brethren, if you're going to love, you love all the way to being willing to lay down your life for the brethren. Peter says, love one another fervently. No hypocrisy. Nothing mixed in there. Nothing that you're just doing for show. Let it be real. Let it show up in your prayer closet. Let it show up in hard love. Let it show up in times loving rebukes and admonishments and reproofs to those who need it. Let it show up in that you're willing to make sacrifice and you're willing to give and not have so that others might have. Especially those who don't have providers. Go out of your way to give. Go out of your way to sacrifice. Go out of your way to show love like this. Some bent over 18 year old daughter of Abraham walks in here. What's she going to see? Are we going to resemble? Is there more of a fragrance of the, the ruler of the synagogue here or of Christ? That's what we need to ask ourselves, brethren. This is the real deal. Away with the falsehood. Away with the acting. We need to love. Let our love be genuine. That cup that Christ drank was a bitter cup. He drank it. All that my sin deserved in an eternity of hell, He drank it. And it smashed down on His head. God crushed Him. His soul was poured out like water. Why? Brethren, genuine love. It didn't get any more genuine than that. Oh, I know there are actors. They like to go out there on TV, on the movies. They try to act this part out. You can have Mel Gibson write the script. But I'm telling you, with Christ, the Christ, it was true. It was real. It wasn't acted. He really went there. He really paid that price. He really was crushed. That love was real. That love was true. That love was genuine. That love was sincere. It doesn't get any more unhypocritical than that. Brethren, that's the one we're called to follow. Not these leaders of the synagogues. And Matt's right. You find lots of Calvinistic churches today where the people are just downright mean. They're unloving. They don't care. God help us there. Better we be more loving and less doctrinal. I'm not dropping doctrine down to any lower degree. We need to have the truth. We need to love it. We need to live it. In fact, this is part of our doctrine. The doctrine of unhypocritical love. May God help us. We have this. Remember, that's the chief, right? The chiefest of these is love. By this, they're going to know that we belong to Him. That's what He said. That's how the world's going to know. And that's what's going to turn this world upside down. Calvinism's good. The doctrines of grace are great because they're true. But I'll tell you what, you take a loving Arminian, he'll turn the world upside down faster than the hard-hearted, stiff-necked, mean-spirited Calvinist. Guarantee you, folks. It's love that turns the world upside down. And I mean, Matt's right. He, you know, he's confessing. I'm, I'm being hit by the same thing as I'm going through this too. But we're just, we're not saying we've got the niche on this. We're just saying God is showing us what the truth is and we feel compelled to stand before you folks and bring it out. I know this church has a lot of zeal, a lot of fervency, but all that fervency and all that zeal has to be like Christ's fervency, like Christ's zeal. Yes, there are times to whip the folks and there are times to give the scathing rebukes. But I'll tell you, When your life becomes entirely that, when our church becomes entirely characterized by that, then we've kind of missed it. 
We've swung in that pendulum too far, folks. Well, God help us. You're dismissed.